0: I hope you have your Bible. Turn with me over to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. We covered this last week, but I feel it is a good starting point for our study today. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The seven judgments of God. Now, some people hear that and they say, well, I don't like the idea that God is a judge. You know, I believe in living my life going around like a rooster saying, no judgment, no judgment, or a parakeet or something but that's not the way it is. As we established last week very clearly, God is a judge. He is the ultimate judge, and he will be the ultimate judge of all things, all people in eternity. And it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, it says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, I know when I covered this last week and I talked about that, no one gets away with anything. Do we understand that? No one gets away with anything. And uh, I thought about that, and then I preached that last Sunday, not knowing what had happened on Friday before New Year's. And uh, we didn't know until Monday morning. Now, our beloved 2006 Honda CRV broke down couple days before New Year's, on Friday before New Year's, and uh, it sounded so terrible, I thought, you know, check engine light, there was a really loud noise, I'm thinking, this thing's going to blow up, I'm not driving it anywhere. So Monday morning, had it towed in, so I was here at 7.15 Monday morning, and got the tow truck going, and we had him deliver it over to our mechanic, and he called me back shortly, and he said, um, he said, yeah, now keep in mind, folks, up to that point, my wife and I always park right out here, right in front of the auditorium here. We always, we've parked there for years. And so he said, yeah, I know what's wrong with your car. And I said, what's that? And he says, somebody stole your catalytic converter out of it. They just pulled up, professionals, they came from this direction, pulled up, came into the parking lot, jumped out, got there, got their reciprocal saw." sawed that baby out and took off down the road again. Must have been plotted. And of course, you know, I'm a Christian, so I have two natures. (laughs) Well, my old nature was hoping that they would return and I could go out with a baseball bat and put them out of their miserable life of being a thief. No, I got myself in check. By the way, got back in fellowship. More about that in a few minutes. But my new nature and my wife and I, we did pray for them and prayed that some way they would understand their problem and put their faith in Christ as their saviors, hear the gospel. Anyways, it's an expensive fix. By the way, Hondas are notorious for having their catalytic converters stolen. I don't know if they make a better catalytic converter and it's worth more money or what the story is. But if you drive a CRV, which model, what year? All of them. All of them. They're number five on the top ten list. Isn't that great? Number five. Does it make you feel good? Not a bit. (laughs) But it happened. The sheriff said he's never heard of it happening in broad daylight in a church parking lot where they come and boldly, they just so evidently, they probably plotted it for a while to know that the vehicles were going to be there. They didn't touch mine, which probably, I'm assuming, has one just like the 2006 because I think the engine's the same. But anyway... That being what it is. And I'm thinking to myself, and I thought long and hard this week about it, about Ecclesiastes 12:14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Unless these people put their faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, they will stand one day at the, at the great white throne judgment. And part of their punishment in an eternal hell will be based on what they did in stealing that out of our car. I don't say that with pleasure. It's fat, though. God knows. What did they get away with? Nothing. They didn't get away with anything. Maybe in man's way, but not in God's way. So last week, this issue, God is a God of judgment. Now, he's also a gracious God, merciful God, and all of that. We know that. But last week, we talked about the first judgment, which is the judgment of sin at Calvary. And this has to do with our eternal destiny, where we are going when we die. God is holy, folks, and sin, according to the Bible, sin must be paid for, sin must be judged. The beauty of what God has done for us, though, the way we know God loves us so much is that Jesus Christ was judged for us in our place when he died on the cross. He took the penalty and the suffering And the punishment we deserved, he died for our sins on the cross. God's wrath was poured out on him on the cross so that it doesn't have to be poured out on us one day. When we put our faith in him that he did that for us and that he rose from the grave to prove it, when we put our faith in him as our savior, as our payment for sin, he gives us that very moment, everlasting life. And it's exactly that. It lasts forever. It's everlasting. All of our sins are forgiven in light of eternity. All the sins of our entire life, because that's what was put on him when he was on the cross. When he died on the cross, all of our sin was put on him. Not just what we've done in the past, but what we'll do in the future. Because remember, when Jesus died, all of our sins were in the future because we hadn't been born. We are born again and become eternal children of God the moment we trust Christ as Savior. All of our sins are forgiven. All of them. Well, what about these mass murders or this or that? If they trust in Jesus Christ to save them as the one who paid for all their sin, all of their sin is forgiven. Well, I don't think that's fair. It's not a matter of fairness. It's a matter of grace. Let me tell you something. If you don't think it's fair, you are self-righteous because even one sin by you or me is enough for us to spend forever in hell. One sin, a bad thought, a thought of jealousy or envy or anything. It's funny, you know, God doesn't put a scale on sin, but self-righteous man does. Why? Well, we have to invent a scale to where we can... Look at people who we think are living worse than we are, that way it makes us feel better, at least for a little while. No, we're sinners, and we deserve hell. First Peter chapter three. look at this with me. First Peter three, in verse 18, it says this, in 1 Peter 3:18, it says, "For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, once. How many times did Jesus die? One time. He paid for all sin. Let me tell you something, friends. If Jesus only paid for the sins of your past, but he didn't pay for the sins of your future, it is of no value to you that he paid for the sins of your past. Because you are going to sin in the future. But you notice he only died one time. Why did he die once? Because it's all he had to do. His payment was complete for every sin of all time. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, him, for the unjust, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And when you put your faith in him, he gives you everlasting life. In Acts chapter 13, you can turn there or see it on the screen. It says this, it said, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of of sins, the sending away, the dismissal of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified, declared righteous from all things. Look at that. From which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. All that believe are justified from all things. That's good news. What are the things any sin we could ever commit, any shortcoming, no, it doesn't matter what it is. God says, if we will put our faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he made the payment for us, that payment is put to our account. God declares us as righteous. Therefore, our sin is taken care of. Here we are. This is our sin. God loves us. He hates our sin. That sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with even one sin. You have to be righteous in the eyes of God to get into heaven because heaven is a righteous place. It's a perfect place. God says we're sinners. Therefore, we're disqualified because we've got this. We can't get in with this. No amount of good works will take it away. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We're guilty. The judge says you're guilty. You need to pay the price. You need a payment for your sin. If we do it, we'll be lost forever in hell. God says this, no, I love you so much. I don't want you to go there, but you're helpless to do it for yourself. He himself, God the Son, came to earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. He suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. Jesus died and he paid the debt that we owe. He paid for our sins in our place and he came back from the dead. And when you believe in him as your savior, when you put your faith in him that he did that for you, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. He gives you forgiveness, and he justifies you. He declares you as righteous in his eyes. Now, as we saw last week at the end of the message, who's gonna condemn us? God, who's in charge, says, not guilty. Now, that is a wonderful thing. Now, this is how you become a child of God. And with that, he becomes your father. And so the judgment of sin was at Calvary. If you believe that, if you believe Jesus died in your place as your payment for sin, God gives you eternal life and you'll no longer be judged in light of eternity for your sin. It's all taken care of. So if you cannot lose your salvation and there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, and that's what the Bible says, then what about the lives we live once we're saved? It comes up all the time. You mean to say I can put my faith in Christ and live as I please and still go to heaven? Secret, everybody lives as they please. Did you know that? Everybody lives as they please. Because we decide what we're going to do and what we don't do. Well, that's not what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. Does God care about how we live once we're saved? And should we care? When we sin, should we care about how we live? Well, the answer is yes and yes. God does care about how we live once we're saved. And should we care about it when we sin? Yes, we should. And that brings us to the second judgment today. Now, here we go. Are you ready? Get ready. Let's listen. We're talking today about the second judgment, the self-judgment of the believer. The self-judgment of the believer. Self-judgment is for when we sin as believers. Now, there's a false teaching going out today that twists the concept of salvation. There are people who are saying there is no self-judgment for the believer, Because you've trusted Christ as Savior, therefore, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter, it's okay, because you're accepted in Christ. That's what they're teaching. That is a false teaching. Maybe they're the ones who propagate this thing that's going around and where people are constantly saying, no judgment, no judgment. See, what that does, folks, is it does give people a license for sin. But that is not in the plan of God. The self-judgment of the believer. Self-judgment is for when we sin as believers. We as believers, when we sin, are we still going to sin? Yes, we are. We as believers, when we sin, we are to confess it to God. More about that in a minute. Claim his forgiveness and then walk in fellowship with him. Listen, we judge ourselves so that God doesn't have to. Wait a minute. I thought you said there's no judgment for the believer. No, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. God does judge us as his children. Hold on. Keep listening. Understand this. This is important today, folks. This is so important for our Christian lives. Let's understand this. There is the eternal relationship with God that never changes. That is what's called our position in Christ. It's also called our standing in Christ. That is a constant. It never changes, okay? But then there is the daily fellowship with God. And that can change. As a matter of fact, it does change. This is our condition. So in light of eternity, that's our position. But now, when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about our condition. That's what we go through in time as we live our lives as Christians. This is our condition as children of God or our state as children in the family. Now, listen, just like in a human family, no matter what you do, you cannot change the fact that you are a child of your parents. It is the same in the family of God. Once you trust Christ as Savior, you will always be a child of God. You're born into the family of God. God sees you in eternity as 100% righteous. You have the righteousness of God put to your account. That never changes. We have three daughters. Those daughters, they are born into our family. Guess what? They are our children. They are our daughters. Nothing will ever change that. However how we get along with each other, that can vary. So you're born into the family of God, that's the new birth, that's eternal life, that never changes. But how you get along with your father, the one who brought you into his family, how you get along with him on a daily basis that can change. That's talking about fellowship. Not eternal relationship, but our daily fellowship. Do you see the difference between the two? One has to do with how things are in light of eternity. The other one has to do with how it is in real time as we live our lives. When the believer sins, it does not affect your eternal salvation, but what it affects is your daily fellowship with the Father. Now, I'll define some of these terms in just a moment, but I want you to turn in your Bible over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John perhaps deals with this more than any other book in the New Testament. Unfortunately, 1 John has been hijacked by people who believe in works for salvation, And you'll see it, and you'll even see it in most of your study Bibles today. They'll say 1 John, basically, it's the acid test on whether you're saved or not. That is a false teaching. It is a frontal attack on salvation by grace, and it's not right. 1 John is not a test of relationship. 1 John is a test of fellowship, and they're different. 1 John is not a test of whether you're saved. 1 John is a test of whether you're walking in fellowship with God or not. And this is so important to understand, okay? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3 it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship, there's the word, with us. The word fellowship, okay? It means joint participation, joint participation. Okay, I like to use the term two fellows in the same ship. You're like-minded. You're going the same direction. You share common interests. That's what fellowship is. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy might be full or may be full. You notice this is the purpose of 1 John is fellowship, and that our joy would be full. You will not find anywhere in 1 John where he's saying, the reason I'm writing this to you is to make sure the way you live is that of a Christian, and if you're not living that way, you're not saved. That's not in 1 John. That's the way people interpret it. Verse 5, this then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, in other words, we're living in joint participation with God, with the heavenly father, our father, because he's writing to Christians here, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. (laughs) Uh, John, could you be a little clearer? (laughs) He says, listen, if you're walking according to the flesh, you're not walking according to the spirit. And if you say, well, I'm walking in fellowship with God, yet you're walking in the darkness of sin, you're a liar. Why? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, oh, there it is. We have fellowship The one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us or continues to cleanse us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Have you ever heard a person say, I know I'm going to heaven? Oh, well, and you go over it and there works for salvation. But you say, well, do you, you know, we all sin. Do you sin? And they say, no, I don't sin any longer. (laughs) Liar. God says you're a liar. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You notice us, John is including himself in this. He's talking to Christians here. Verse 9, here we go. If we confess our sins, so there's the understanding we do sin when we're saved, it doesn't threaten our eternal destiny. We're going to heaven because we've been justified from all things. But this has to do with how I'm getting along with my heavenly Father. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to cover three major issues concerning the self-judgment of the believer. And the first one is this, the confession of sin, the confession of sin. By the way, the Bible says we confess our sin to God. You don't go to a little room in a little church and kneel down and get it squared away between you and a human priest. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic. I understand what I'm talking about. Okay, It was wrong, Okay, put it bluntly. That is not the way it is. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, the Bible says. I can remember as a young boy sitting there waiting to go into the confessional, and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to ask me, what have I done wrong? Uh, I'm supposed to list what I've done wrong, and so let me think. I can't think of anything. Let me make some up. So I'd make stuff up, which is what? Lying. I never brought that part up. (laughs) Go in, oh, Father, I've I've done this, I did that. Now, listen, after a while, you learn how to navigate this as a young boy, and you say, you know what? He's going to give me a lot of penance and prayers to say if what I've done is really heinous. So I'll just keep it on the mild level. That way, it's just a couple Hail Marys and a couple Our Fathers. And I'm out of there, good to go. I can hop on my bike and go live again. (laughs) Now, that's the way I thought, and that's the way a lot of people think. Folks, listen, we're not dealing with a human priest. We're dealing with God, who is the judge. And listen, he takes sin seriously, and he takes sin seriously in the lives of his children. Let me tell you something. If you don't deal with your children when they're in rebellion, you are asking for serious trouble. God deals with his children when they're living in rebellion, as we're going to see. So we see first the confession of sin. The word confess, it's a Greek word, homologueo. Not that you really wanted to know that, but I would just tell you. It means to say the same thing as another. This is what it means to say the same thing as another to admit or declare oneself guilty of what one is accused of. It is to take God's position on your sin. It is seeing our sin as God sees our sin. When I said at the beginning, to say the same thing as another, the another is talking about God in the context. So you're taking God's side against the sin that you've committed. Notice that John is writing to believers, not lost people. He calls his audience, my little children, through the epistle. He often says we, including them, into what he is saying. He uses a term brethren. Brethren means we're brothers. We're talking about the family of God. So he's talking to Christians about sinning in their lives once they're Christians. This is the point. And when we as Christians sin once we're saved, what that does when we sin, it breaks fellowship, not relationship. It breaks fellowship with the Father. In other words, He's walking in the light all the time. He's the light of the world, right? In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 1. So, If that is where he's walking, when I sin, here's what happens, folks, okay? Here we are walking through life in fellowship and walking in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship, one with the other, right? When I sin, I go off track. The Lord's not going there. He doesn't sin. What have I done? I've broken my joint participation with him. So how do I get that back? Now understand, I'm still a child of God, but how do I get that back? Through what the Bible calls confession. Back to First John 1, look at verse 3 again. It says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. God wants our joy to be Now again, in review, this is not judicial forgiveness in light of eternity. That has to do with getting saved. This is parental forgiveness. Parental forgiveness from the Father. In other words, I'm in the family, but something, my rebellion has broken our intimacy between me and my Father, and I want to get that back, okay? Well, he hasn't done anything wrong. I'm the one who's messed up, so what do I need to do? I need his remedy, and his remedy is confession. But your own your own children, okay? Your own children. We had it with our children, yes, even Laura, who's over here. Our daughters, listen, they're born into our family, nothing can change that. They're our daughters, whether they were nasty little girls or wonderful little girls, usually wonderful, okay? But whether they were nasty little girls or wonderful little girls, whether they were obedient and submissive or rebellious at times, even in attitude, by the way, rebellious attitude is just as bad as the actions. Now, nothing could change the fact that there are children, but depending on the choices they make, that could change how well we got along with them. Was there friction between us? If there's friction there, now listen, I know we're dealing with human parents who are not perfect, but let's say parents are in the right, okay? If there's friction there and a child rebels towards the parent, that produces friction in the relationship. That's a loss of fellowship. Doesn't mean they're not children anymore. It means that there's a barrier there. There's an issue going on there. Now, in a human family, the parents have a responsibility, to deal with the child, to bring them to a point of repentance or a change of mind. And when they do, what do they do? They confess what they've done is wrong. When they confess that, now that fellowship can be close once again, just as as the parent always wanted it to be. And folks, it is exactly the same in the family of God. Once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. But when we as his children rebel, we break the fellowship, that sweetness, intimacy that's there, we get off track, and the way back, it's not up to him, it's up to us. Now he will work on us, just like good parents work on their children to bring them around. We'll get to that in a minute. He'll work on us. But ultimately, we have to get to the point where we confess our sin. That means take his side against it. That means see it as he does. And when we do, then there's on a temporal level, there's forgiveness of that. Okay, it's behind us now. By the way, parents, your children rebel. You deal with them. You discipline them appropriately, okay? And listen, when you are done it is over. You don't hang it over their heads. It's over. You hug them. You love them. You assure them of how much you love them. And that sweetness of fellowship can come back. That's the same as in the family of God. The Bible has many examples of biblical confession. Turn with me over to the Psalms. We use David as a prime example of this, and I am convinced that this is why God put this in the Bible to where we can really understand this issue. This, the context of Psalm 32, as well as Psalm 51, is dealing with David's sin with Bathsheba and also the murder of her husband that David orchestrated. Time went on, and of course, this was eating on David. He knew he had done wrong. He was living under guilt. He was living under conviction. And then God nudged Nathan the prophet, and he says, I want you to confront him about the sin that he did. Understand this, folks. Nathan most likely did not know all the details of David. But God told Nathan about it. Go confront the king. Now, that's kind of spooky, isn't it? You have any secret sins? God can send somebody to you. He can let them know what you've done, and they can come and confront you about it. You might say, ooh, that sounds almost supernatural. Yeah, Christian life is a supernatural life. Here we have David after coming to terms with his sin with Bathsheba. He had this attitude. Look at Psalm 32, 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. There it is. That's confession. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. There it is. That's Old Testament. Turn with me, you're still in Psalms, turn with me to Psalm 51. And here is perhaps the most descriptive, biblical descriptive area of manifesting a mindset. When we see our sin as God does. Psalm 51.1, we won't read the whole chapter, but in Psalm 51.1 it says, Have mercy upon me, O God. Still, the context here is what his sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He was already a believer. He's writing under inspiration of the Spirit. For I acknowledge my transgressions, that's confession, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. He covers more verses, then he comes to verse 10. Look at verse 10, folks. Create in me a clean heart, Oh, God, you notice he's not saying, save me again. No, he's already a believer. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. He wanted to be back in fellowship with the Lord. He confessed our sin. He's the, oh Lord, listen, I have sinned against you. I know I've been in the wrong. Lord, I confess that to you. Create in me a clean heart. I want to walk with you again. This is the mindset With that, what do we see in this passage? Well, we see that there should be repentance, but what does that mean? It means a change of mind, a change in the thinking. And that's right. When we sin, and even when we confess our sins, shouldn't we have a mindset of, Lord, help me not to do that. Lord, work in my life. Help me get over this kind of stuff. Lord, I keep doing, maybe it's a habitual sin in your life. Lord, I keep doing this. Would you please help me with this? I don't want to do this anymore. See, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, folks, that if you confess your sin, but you don't have victory over that sin, then God never honored your confession of sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Yes, there are changes in our lives that God wants to take place over time, but that's Christian growth. And God is very patient with his children. He knows the heart, though. He knows whether we are sincere about this. So what do we see here? Three major issues concerning self-judgment. One is confession of sin. That's taking God's side against it. It's seeing it as he does. That is confession of sin. Secondly, though, let's move on. This should lead to an obedient walk with the Lord. It should lead to that. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. Does that mean we're always going to succeed? No. Back to 1 John chapter 1. This then is the message that we have heard, verse 5, of him. And we declared unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. That's a a fellowship issue. That's not our standing in Christ in light of eternity. That was done. Remember, we're justified from all things. All of our sin was forgiven. But this has to do with our daily walk, our daily fellowship with God. This leads us to our third issue with this. And this is one, by the way, folks, a lot of people don't believe in this today. And it's too bad because it's clearly in the Bible. Self judgment avoids the chastisement of the Father. This is so important. We're talking about self judgment. Self judgment avoids the chastisement of the Father. What is chastisement? It is the discipline. Of the father. And that can be anything from a training aspect to a, a disciplinary punishment, for lack of a better term, of the child. God does that to his children. Oh, I can't believe that. You better believe it. It's in the Bible. You better believe it. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. God does chasten, discipline his children. The Bible even goes, it even uses a stronger word. He scourges his children. People hate to hear that. God gives his children a weapon. Oh, I can't believe in a God. You better believe it, folks. Here it is in the text. The word scourge is the same word used when it talks about what they did to the back of Jesus before his crucifixion. Hebrews twelve six for whom the Lord loves he chastens that means disciplines and scourges there it is every son whom he receiveth if you endure chastening God deals with you as with sons for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not but if you be without chastisement whereof all are partakers then ye are illegitimate I'll use the kind word and not sons what is it saying that every child of God gets chastened and disciplined. Why? Because we're still sinners once we're saved. And there are times when we get stubborn about our rebellion. We hold on to our ears and God says, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to bear down on you. I'm going to have to tighten the screws, so to speak. And folks... Not a good place to be. Years ago, I heard a pastor, a seasoned pastor. He'd been in the ministry for many years. He says, I've learned this in my Christian life, in my walk with Christ. He says, there's the blessing side of God, and there's the chastening side of God. He says, I've learned this. I want to live on the blessing side. I don't want to live on the chastening side. And listen, folks, God's will is stronger than yours and mine. The best thing for us to do is when we sin, right away confess that sin to God, see it as He does, and get that fellowship with Him restored, and now walk in fellowship, and we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But do you see this here? Verse 9, furthermore, well, we'll jump down through there because of time. Verse 11, now no chastening, no discipline, airy action. No disciplinary action. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous... Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. If we cooperate with God, our lives will be blessed. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Let him have his way. When you sense that God is starting to chasten or chastise you, if I sense that, you know, the best thing to do is just stick up your white flag right there. I surrender. Have your way, Lord, in my life. I confess my rebellion. I confess my sin to you. Lord, Created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. not that a great place to live? Great place to live. Nothing in between. Folks, God wants us to be sensitive to that. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Say, I'm still not convinced that God does that. Well, he does. I, we just read it, so that should be enough. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Corinthian church. These are believers. We know that from chapter 1. They are called saints. And all the way through, Paul reminded them that they were believers, that they were children of God. But you see, they were carnal. They were a church of believers. Most of them were living in the flesh. They were living, even though they were saved, they're living sinful, wicked lives. So it's one problem after another. That's what 1 Corinthians is about. Paul pointing these things out. One of the things they were doing is when they celebrated the Lord's Supper communion, they were coming together, but some of them were coming and they were very disrespectful about the Lord's Supper. Some were even coming drunk to the Lord's Supper. Disrespectful. See, the Lord's Supper is a memorial service about the Lord and what he's done for us. God doesn't take kindly to disrespect. He sacrificed the son. We ought to respect that. But some of them wouldn't give in. So Paul writes to these believers, and he says this in verse 30, For this cause, disrespect at the Lord's Supper, drunkenness at the Lord's Supper, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. God made certain of their membership sick and weak physically. That's chastening. And look at this one, and many sleep. Now, it's not talking about like some of you today sleeping in the seats here. No, I, I, don't, I don't see that, but maybe it's going on. We had one guy years ago, I, I think he could sleep with his eyes open. Pastor Trout, you know who I'm talking about. Anyways, that's, a, that's an art. That takes time. That's skill. <laughs> sleep means that God terminated their physical life and took them to heaven. He cut them off prematurely. That's chastening. Look at it, verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, that's self-judgment. We should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord. We don't do it. He'll do it, that we should not be condemned or judged with the world, okay? Folks, God does discipline his children. I could say more about it, but let me just uh, close with a few issues here, okay? Chastening can be for a negative punishment or simply for training. By the way, let me just mention this, and the record would be in 2 Samuel 12, 13, and 14. Don't turn there. We don't have time. God forgave David, but he said, you know what? A price is going to be paid, and you know what God did? He took the life of the baby that came from that relationship between David and Bathsheba, that illegitimate relationship. He took the life of the baby i say, oh, that sounds so mean. Listen, God doesn't take sin lightly in the lives of his children. So David's life was spared, but God took the life of the baby. God does chasten. So chastening can be for a negative punishment or simply for training. How can we know and benefit from it? Well, let me give you three things in closing. Number one is this, be honest with God. When something happens in your life, when something happens, we need to immediately ask the question, Lord, what are you trying to teach me by this? You know, most Christians don't even do that. They just kind of go through life just, oh, 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 what? God's, nothing happens, folks, in our lives by accident, okay? Understand that. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? This is the humble and honest attitude. If we know we are being disciplined or scourged by the Lord, we need to be humble enough to admit it and confess that and walk in fellowship with God again. Secondly, be surrendered and willing to go God's way in the situation. This may be to correct a wrong relationship or action towards someone. It may be to apologize to somebody because you've offended them. It may be to correct a wrong decision that was made. You made. You made a wrong decision. You're on the wrong track. Correct it. We do not have to live with some wrong decisions we make. Sometimes it's just a matter of being humble and honest enough to fix it. And folks, so many things can be fixed if we're just not so proud. And third, be committed to obeying the word of God and the will of God. Of course, we find the will of God in the word of God. These things are so important. Self-judgment is important. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you something. And this bears out in Scripture. If we are not confessing our sin, I guarantee you we're not walking in fellowship with God. Dr. Harry Ironside, years ago, he said, I'm paraphrasing, it is a terrible shame that some Christians have lived almost their entire lives out of fellowship with God. That's terrible, isn't it? It Doesn't have to be. It can change today. It can change today. Now let me say if you've never put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, would you trust him today to get you to heaven? He is the only way. We've been talking about the Christian walk, but how do you stand with God in eternity? The only way you can go to heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 6, 47, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's how you enter the family of God. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.